right, if you will, church, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 13. We talked about last week the, where Jesus came and he washed the feet of the disciples, where he lowered himself as a servant and um, took upon himself all the dirt, all the grit, everything that the disciples had accumulated as they journeyed throughout the world. And if you remember, I did this demonstration where I brought in some of my old nasty shoes and I cleaned them with a towel and, and just really tried to help give that representation of what it was that Jesus did for his disciples, number one. But no, for number two, for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, you see, when, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we, we were saved. We, we, we were cleansed by the blood of Christ. We have been forgiven. But we still walk through this world, don't we? We still walk through this world, and we still collect all of the nastiness that the world has to offer, right? I mean, who here thinks that the world is perfect? Because it's not. Who here thinks that the world is just? Because it's not. You see, Jesus takes all of the things that, that come in our way, all the things that we stumble over in the world, all the sins that we commit, and as we come before him, hopefully in a daily repentance, he washes us clean of those things as well. He takes it upon himself. If you notice, in that scripture, it talked about how Jesus took that towel and he wrapped it around himself, the ultimate sign of a servant. And he took and he washed the feet of the disciples and he wiped it all over that towel so that he was then wearing the dirt. That's what Jesus does for us. He takes it upon himself. Everything that we are, everything that we have, he takes it upon himself and he does that for us daily because it says in Scripture that he gives us grace upon grace upon grace. He renews us and, and refreshes us every single day. But guess what? That means that we have to come to him, doesn't it? It means that we have to surrender ourselves to him. It means that we have to be in communion with him. And so as we were going through this last week and in, even into this week, we're still in this time where the disciples are sitting with Jesus at the table, the Last Supper. That's the time frame that we are in. So it's fitting that, that we did communion today. But today takes a little bit of a turn. Today, we're going to read all about Judas, about betrayal. We're going to read about denials. But it's all going to come together, hopefully, for us, to where we're going to get to see exactly what Jesus thinks of us, about how Jesus loves us, and how he has given us a singular commandment. And we're going to hopefully bring all of these things together. But first, we're going to take a look at the text. And so take a look there at John chapter 13, starting at verse 21. So it says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Disciples, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. 
One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread. And when I have dipped it, so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I have said to the Jews... So now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. There is some clear things that are happening here. The first and, and, and the thing that is right out of the gate for us is betrayal. It says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. He testifies, truly, I say to you, one of you are going to betray me. So we get brought into the picture here, this, this picture of, Jesus, of Judas, I mean. Of Judas and and but before we can get to him we get to see that Jesus is experiencing something it's a real human element you know we always talk a lot of times we say well, well Jesus was fully man and Jesus is fully God right that's I mean that's absolute truth he is fully man and he is fully God well you know what God doesn't do he doesn't worry about anything God isn't he's not troubled by things. He's the creator of everything. He's in control of everything. But Jesus, being fully man, he's like you and I, which is weird to think, isn't it? And he's troubled. He becomes troubled by these things that are about to happen. And, and it says that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And because he was troubled in his spirit, he then expresses this out loud, oftentimes as as people, we don't do that, do we? I am 100% guilty as charged. I get troubled about something, and then I let it sit. I let it fester. And then I hold it all in, like this volcano. 
And then eventually, once enough pressure has built up, it's poof. Am I alone in that? I think there's a lot of people who are similar in that regard. However, we get to see Jesus here having this very, very real experience, this very real human moment. He was troubled in his spirit, and immediately he goes, hey, I got to tell you all something. I wish I could do that. I wish that was me. I wish that was my personality. And, and every day, it's one of those things where you long to go, well, I want to be more like Christ. I want to be more like Jesus, where if I'm troubled about it, I'm going to tell you, because guess what? I shouldn't hold anything against you, should I? See, if I just bottle up, if someone in this room does something against me and I don't tell them, whose fault is that? It's mine. I'm at fault, not the person in the room. Sure, they might have done something that maybe they need to ask for forgiveness for, but I'm the one who's got the issue, right? And it could even be a situation where the person doesn't even know that they've done something to wrong me, and they won't know unless I bring it to their attention, right? So what's the point of me holding it back? What's the point of me bottling this thing up? Jesus is a perfect example of this. He says, I am troubled. Let me tell you about it. Follow my example. So he says, I am troubled. One of you are going to betray me. That's not something that you bring out lightly amongst the people whom you probably trust more than anyone, is it? Do you look at one of your really, really great friends and you gather maybe with a couple of them and you go, you know what, I'm just really, one of you all are going to betray me today. Like, how do you bring about that conversation? How does that, how does that begin? Well, it begins just like this, with truth and with honesty, because that's who Jesus is. Jesus is very real. Jesus is transparent. He is our absolute God that we should be looking to. You see, Jesus is troubled because he knows that his time, his time is near. His time has come, as a, as a matter of fact. In John chapter 12, we talked about that, that his time had actually, his purpose had come. It, it is here. It is real. It is evident. It is upon him. And now one of his disciples that he just dearly loves, that he called out personally, is going to turn on him. So the other disciples, they're clueless. They don't know what's happening. They don't fully understand, do they? They, they look at Jesus, and they're like, hey, we, we don't get it. They look at one another. They're uncertain about the things that he's speaking. So it talks about one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. Who was this disciple that Jesus loved? Who are we talking about? Because the writer doesn't tell us. John doesn't tell us who that is. It's John. That's who it is. He didn't want to boast about himself. He didn't want to bring attention to himself. Remember, this is, this is the gospel about Jesus Christ. So he doesn't want to say, you know, here's one of the disciples. By the way, it was me who Jesus loved. You see, it would have set a different tone for the passage, wouldn't it? Instead, John humbles himself and says one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. It doesn't mean that he didn't love the other disciples either. It just shows that he is connected, that he is real, that he is following in Christ Jesus. And in everything that Jesus does, he pays attention to, and therefore he is in the good graces of Jesus. So he just simply says one of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at table. He's talking about himself. Simon Peter shows up. Again, we love Peter. We love who Peter is. We love the things that he represents because Peter is real. I can see myself in Peter because I ask stupid questions. I do stupid things. I grow 
because I am just not wise in a lot of key areas. And I look at Peter and I go, oh, I would so do that because isn't that really who we are? Listen to how this reads out. It says, one of his disciples who Jesus loved was reclining at table. So Simon Peter motions to him to ask Jesus of whom he's speaking. Get a real picture of this. They're all reclining. Remember I described this. They're all laying down at the table. Actually, they do it this way. They, they lay on their left shoulder. There's a whole reason behind that. They lay on their, their left uh, shoulder or elbow, and they eat with their right hand. Um, and so they're laying there, and here's Simon Peter at some point around the table, and he motions over to John. Hey, go talk to that guy. You're next to him. John is laying next to Jesus. And so what does he do? He leans back. Hey, Jesus, who are you talking about? Isn't that just like us? You, you hear a little something. You get this little snippet. Like all of a sudden you were brought into the inner circle. Something's about to happen. Something big is about to go down. You were just told somebody's about to betray Jesus Christ. We're all following you. And Jesus doesn't finish the rest of it. What does that do? That creates suspense, doesn't it? Now, not all the rest of the disciples were too worried about it, except for who? Peter! We love Peter because that's who he is. He is like us. He wants to know the details. This is the gossip session that happened around the table. And so he leans over and emotions to John, and John leans over and he says, Hey, Jesus, who, who are we talking about? And Jesus doesn't come out right and say the name of Judas but he says you know whoever takes this morsel that I that I'm going to dip this piece of bread and, and whoever I give it to that's that's who it is and even in that context John is really the only one because remember they're not talking about this thing out loud John kind of leaned over and said hey Jesus who is this so in the process the rest of the disciples are still a little bit clueless they probably didn't hear everything that was going on. The other, the other two Gospels that speak about this, it's probably more of a, uh, a telling of the story that they are, they are um, regurgitating and just kind of putting out there. And so we have this idea of, of Jesus now exposing who the person is. He's someone who's been following Jesus. He's someone who is, who is claiming believe and to trust in Jesus it's one of his disciples he he then gives this morsel of bread over to John I mean over to Judas in verse 26 Jesus it says there that he says he answers he says it's to whom I'm going to give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it so he dips the morsel he gives it to Judas in verse 27 it says then after Judas took the morsel what Satan entered into him that's a scary moment in this story. It's a scary thing that's happening here because, because as we had read up earlier, there was this, it, 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 well, actually it was uh, uh, verse 20, uh, uh, let's see, it was, it was up higher. I'm, I'm, I lost my place. But we were told that, that as they were there at the table that Judas, Satan had already started to begin to work on his heart. Satan is at work. We've talked about this now for the last couple of weeks. Those doors at the front of this church are not magic. They are regular doors. 
They do not magically keep Satan out of this place. He is at work. He is here. He is roaming around. He's the author of confusion. He lies. He he's, comes to only steal, kill, and destroy. His goal is to take you as far away from Christ Jesus as possible. He infiltrated the circle of Jesus. If he can infiltrate and get to one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, do you think you're strong enough to hold him off? See, that's a tough question, isn't it? That's a tough way of looking at it. Are we strong enough to hold off Satan? The answer to that is no. There's not a single person in this room who is strong enough on their own to hold him off. But we have someone who is, don't we? We have Jesus Christ. We have Jesus who we know has already even faced him, has already defeated him, and then rose again from the grave. He has defeated death. That is, that is Satan's ultimate goal is for us to all be in eternal death. Jesus Christ said, no, I'm going to bring eternal life. You can't defeat me. And so as as Satan is, is doing the work, as he is infiltrating this inner circle of Jesus, he grabs hold of one of Jesus' own, Judas Iscariot. And he begins to pluck and pick away at his heart. And it wasn't until Jesus handed him that morsel and said, go do what you need to do, that Satan, it says, entered into him, took him over. It was at that moment Judas died in eternal death. It was at that moment. You see, for Judas, he had a choice. He was sitting in the presence of the Savior, wasn't he? He was in the presence of the Savior, and he turned his back in that particular moment. We all face that same, same situation every single day. You either belong to Jesus or you don't, right? But we have to face what the situation is at hand. Satan is in pursuit. Jesus pursues you, but so does Satan. And, and the reality of this is that we, we have to make a choice. We are either going to be covered by the blood of Christ, and we are going to have protection against the evil one, or we won't. You see, it's a difficult thing. And yet, it should be so simple. We live in a place where, where Satan... Is it rule? Here on earth, Satan is king. Anything and everything that Satan desires, he brings forth. He tempts us with so many things that are out there in the world. He brings forth all the chaos, all of the bad things, all the, just the, you, all you have to do is leave out of here for about 10 minutes and you can be filled with a week's worth of, of just hatred and horribleness that the world has to offer. Get online for about 10 minutes. Type in the wrong word in your Google search. Imagine what could potentially pop up as a temptation. Everywhere that you look, there is something to draw our eye, our attention, our souls away from Christ Jesus. Everywhere you look. And if you're not protected by Jesus Christ, if you're not in His Word, if you're not seeking Him, you will be pulled away. And if you don't belong to Jesus Christ, you're at risk. That's the simple truth of it. You are at risk if you don't belong to Jesus Christ. But if you've committed yourself to Jesus Christ, guess what? You get to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior, Satan, depart from me. Because he has no rule over you. 
Because you belong to Jesus Christ. Because no one can ever take you away from the Master. Period. You belong to Jesus. Nothing Satan can do can ever stop you or take you away. You have an eternity to be spent with God the Father. You see, Satan doesn't want that. He wants you in his backyard. That's the way it was explained to me when I was a young, uh, well, before I was even saved, Sean's grandmother. She used to say, if you don't belong to Jesus, it's because you're sitting in Satan's backyard. You're back there playing with all the shiny things that he wants to tempt you with. He doesn't want you to leave, but the second you escape, he's in hot pursuit. Are you in Satan's backyard today? Do you even realize if you're sitting in Satan's backyard? See, it's a question that the world doesn't really understand because we are so tempted, we are so thrown off by all of the junk that is out there. It's insane. We have someone who was in the midst of Jesus Christ, who has watched the miracles that he has done, and he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What good was that? What good did it accomplish? He tried to give it back. You can read about that and, uh, later on in the, in the book of Acts, but he, he tried to give it back. It didn't matter. It was too late. The deed had been done. He had turned his back on Jesus, his Savior. You see, it's, it's I don't even know, this isn't even where I was going today, y'all. This is one of those things that, that when it hits, it just hits. And, and, and I, I need for us to understand that, that there is real things at play here. That it's not just simply enough to say Jesus is my Savior. We can say that all day long. I can say the words, Jesus is my Savior. It can mean nothing. Can it? Can't we live a life where I say a lot of things? And it means nothing? Do you belong to Jesus or not? That's the, that's the real statement. That's the real question. It, you, again, you can't ride the fence on this thing. You belong or you don't. It's not a club either. I'm not going to stand there at the door and ask you for your pass. I'm not going to make you sign a waiver and say, hey, as long as you give me a $100 due each year, you're good. I don't care if you give anything. Jesus didn't ask you for nothing, did he? except for your heart. It's all he's ever asked you for. He said, trust in me, believe in me, and get this, he goes, follow me. And he had someone in his midst. He had Judas Iscariot, one who's watched and witnessed all of the great amazing things, and he betrayed him. Do you think you're better? Because you've not walked alongside the human Jesus Christ. We have a different situation, don't we? We have to believe not by sight. You see, then they were watching the things that Jesus did. It was a whole lot simpler, wasn't it? Isn't it a whole lot easier to believe when, when you see someone doing some things before you? To think that they are amazing or that they are great or that they're deserving or that they're wise or, or any of those things? Isn't it so much easier if I can see it for myself to believe it? See, we look around the world today. Do you see Jesus? You don't see him with these. You see him with this. You see him with your heart. 
You see him and his presence and you see his works and you see his good deeds and you see his teachings and you see his commandments. You, you have to live by his standard and his morals, not your own. And it's a choice that you have to make. Jesus tells you everybody is welcome. He even says, I even died for each of you. Every single one of you, I died for you. I know you by name. I've been calling out to you. As a matter of fact, I will leave everybody else behind and I will come after you if you will seek me out and you will turn your heart to me. He's giving us this example of Judas as an, as an ultimate place for us to come and solidify, do you want to be like Judas? Do you want to know who Jesus Christ is and then turn your back on him? Or do you want to surrender yourself to him and have an eternity of hope and love and forgiveness and grace? Because I'm telling you, the other place is not so great. It talks of weeping and gnashing of teeth, of, of fires so hot, of thirst that can never be quenched. You will thirst and thirst and thirst and you'll never find relief. Judas, there in the midst, there with Jesus, had to make a choice and he chose to turn his back. Satan is not a power to be played with or messed with. This should be a very real example of just how imperative it is for us to believe and look to Jesus for everything. That for Judas, he had every opportunity to not do what he did. But we know that this all played out for a purpose. And so Jesus continues. And it says that, that when Judas left, he left how? It says he left in the cover of night. See, when we do things against Jesus, we like to do them in the dark so that we think no one can see, so that we think that God can't see what's happening. I'm going to do it in the cover of darkness so that, so that I'm... I'm, I'm safe. The light of Christ pierces through any darkness. There is no crack, no crevice, no, no closed up area that the light of Christ cannot penetrate and that he can penetrate even the darkest of hearts. Don't allow yourself to be in a place where you believe that you are unreachable because there's a lot of people that do that too. They say, you know what? Jesus can't get to me. You know what? Jesus can't save me. You know what? There's just too much that has gone on in my life. I am not, not worthy. I'm not, I'm not deserving. I am too nasty. I am too gone. I am too lost for Jesus to find me. And that is so not true. He can find you anywhere. He will seek you out relentlessly. We were talking this morning, it was funny because uh, the worship team, we were talking about how there's that, that song about you know, the reckless love. And, and I don't like the song. It's funny how we talk about things and then they pop into a sermon. It's just the way God works, I guess. But God is not reckless in anything that he does. He's never been reckless. There's a perfect plan for everything that he does, including you. There's a perfect plan for every single aspect of our lives. And so Jesus takes this opportunity. It's not that he wanted Judas to, 
have an eternity in hell. It's not that he desired for Judas to turn away from him. It's not that he desired for Judas to betray him and to become this example. But the point here is that if that's what's going to happen, Jesus is going to use that to bring glory, to bring and reveal purpose. And he's going to work in and through every single situation that there is. And so at this point, Jesus says, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, then God will also glorify in Himself and glorify Him at once. So then Jesus reveals just a little bit more, doesn't He? He says, little children. He's talking to the eleven now. And He doesn't refer to them as, hey, fellas, hey, guys, hey, you eleven. He says, little children. Because in the grand scheme of things, Aren't we all lacking in wisdom? Aren't we all lacking in the knowledge of who Jesus is and just how amazing and mighty and powerful he really is? I'm not anywhere near the level that Jesus is. God the Father. I am not bright enough. I am not smart enough. And so he refers to them and says, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. Where I'm going, though, you cannot come with me. And then here's the key word. He says, you cannot come with me now. I love that he tells, he tells Peter down there in verse, uh, verse 37. He says, Lord, uh, you know, you can't. Or he, he tells Peter, he says, where I'm going, you can't, you can't follow me now. And it creates confusion around Peter. It creates confusion amongst all the disciples, but especially around Peter. Because he wants to know. He desires to know. He's got such a strong yearning to follow Christ Jesus anywhere and everywhere that he makes a very bold statement. He says, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll follow you to my death. It's a very bold claim. I will follow you now, Peter said. Why can't I follow you now? And Jesus then reveals that not only is he going to be betrayed, but he's also going to be denied by one who just claims, I will lay down my life for you. If we were to go around this room and take a poll, and I was to ask you one simple question, choose death because of your faith and your belief in Jesus Christ, or deny Jesus and live? If you were faced with a very real question of that, how would everybody in this room answer? Have you thought about that question? If faced with death and denying Jesus Christ, would I deny him? People in this world have had to make that choice. There's people all over third world countries that make that choice every single day. They face death if they proclaim Jesus as their Savior. I've never had to face that. I pray I never do. I pray none of us ever do. Here in America, we are extremely blessed. We're not like the people that have to travel for hours upon hours just to get to a place where we go underground and we hope and we pray that we aren't found so that we can worship and praise Jesus. Because if those people are found, they will be slaughtered. Slaughtered, literally. I don't live in that kind of world. My world here is safe. 
My world is that I come here and I gather at 11 o'clock on a Sunday and I spend maybe an hour, two hours worshiping and praising the Lord so that I can hurry up and go eat lunch. That's the world that I live in. Am I sacrificially believing in, trusting in, and following in Christ Jesus? Am I I leading my family to follow in Christ Jesus? Am I presenting these these thoughts, these ideas, these questions before my family and saying, are you going to deny Jesus Christ or are you going to follow him? Because there's things in this world that want to pull us away. There's things in this world that are going to get in the way. There are things in this world that are going to make you want to say, do this instead of. What was it that Jesus said to the rich young ruler? Do you remember what he said to the rich young ruler who said, hey, I've done everything. I've followed all of your commandments. I have have lived up to the standards. You gave me ten commandments and I've been following every one of them, which was the problem number one. He was a liar. That was number one right out of the gate. What was it that Jesus did? He, did he rub that in his nose? He was like, come on, you ain't followed all. I'm like, no. Jesus just simply said, that's amazing. I love it. You have followed all my commandments. And the guy says, well, what must I do then to be like you? Jesus said, give up everything you own. Give up and give away everything. In other words, I want you to relieve yourself of everything of this world. He says, come and follow me. And you know what that rich young ruler did? He hung his head and he walked away because he desired this world more than he desired Jesus Christ. When you look in the mirror, is that you? When you look in the mirror, do you desire the things of this world more than you desire Jesus? Because if that's true, then you're no better than Peter. You're no better than the rich young ruler. You're no better off than Judas. If you're going to deny Jesus, if you're going to betray Jesus, if you're going to ultimately turn your back on him when all he asks of you is to believe and to trust and to follow him, those aren't difficult things. The world tells you they are, but they're really not. It's all a matter of how you want to spend your eternity. Do you have the assurance of that? And Jesus says, there's this new commandment that I want to give you. Jesus says, there's this new commandment that I want you to hear and I want you to abide by. There was 10 commandments given to you originally. They weren't enough. You created 600 plus more rules because you all thought you had it figured out. I only gave you 10 to begin with, but now Jesus goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to narrow that down to just one. Just one. I want you to follow This new commandment, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. That sounds simple enough, doesn't it? How well do we do that? If you're honest with yourselves, extremely honest, like Jesus honest, how well are you living this one commandment? How well are you loving one another as Jesus loved you. And if you think for a moment, well, I think I'm doing pretty good. I help out. Help my neighbor. Give a little money here and there when I've got it. That's a key word, by the way. You aren't paying attention. When I've got it, I give the extra that I have. Right? I give of my abundance. When I have extra time, when I have an abundance of time, I'll give that. 
when I have extra of whatever, sure, I'm more than happy and willing to love on my fellow person. Is that what Jesus did? Nope. Jesus, who had nothing, came into the world with nothing, who humbled himself down from being a king to being in a, a human infant, came into this world with nothing, walked around with nothing, desired nothing other than your heart, said, you know what? I'm going to die for you. I'm going to give my life for you because that's how much I love you. That is how I love another. I die for them. So when we find ourselves giving from our abundance and we feel ourselves feeling pretty good, it's one of those places where we have to check ourselves, isn't it? It's one of those places where we have to decide, is this the right thing? Am I living as Jesus instructs or calls me to live? He says, I give you this one commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And he says, you're going to know who these people are. They're going to be very easily distinguishable. You're going to be able to pick them out of a crowd. You want to know how? He says so in verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's going to be evident. You're going to be able to look into the crowd of people, the sea of Christians that we have out there, and you're going to be able to see who are the followers of Christ Jesus and who are the hypocrites? Who are the ones that are seeking after Jesus and trying to do the right thing? And who are the ones that are just simply playing house? Who is it? And then you have to ask yourselves, church, where do I land? This was not today's intended message. I'll happily show you my notes. This is something that evidently needed to be said, but, and I don't know who it's for. I'm not even going to, I don't know. All I know is that Jesus, he is our ultimate example. Jesus is the one who, who taught us everything. Jesus is the one who created everything. Jesus is the one who created us. He's the one that gives us our morals, that says what's good and what's right and what's wrong and 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 helps us as we go. He is our compass. Are you looking to Jesus to guide you in that way? If you're not, turn to him today. Seek him out today. If you have asked Jesus to forgive you, if you said, look, I've confessed Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, but I'm still not living that way, then confess that as well and ask him to change you, to work in your heart, to bring you to this to this place where you need to be. When we can begin doing the things that, that Jesus Christ has pointed us towards, this building won't be enough to contain the amount of people that Jesus will bring. I believe that. But we have to get in a place where we are trusting in Jesus, we are following him in his way, according to his will, not our own. We have to get very real with our faith. So if that's you today, I invite you to come. I'm going I'm to pray for us. We're going to close out today, but I invite you to come. If you find yourself in a place where you are struggling, where you're not sure if you're living according to his way, according to his will, come. And I'm asking you to come forward, to step out in faith. These two front pews, nobody ever sits there. Come forward. I will pray with you.
This altar is open. Come forward. Kneel before God and ask Him for forgiveness. We, we did. We took that up earlier. But yeah, well, you can give that to Miss Carol. That's okay. Um, but I want you to turn your heart to God. Surrender yourself to God. Truly and honestly, by faith, surrender yourself. Pray with me. Father, we come before you now. We ask for your blessing. Father, we ask that you would, your Holy Spirit would just come and move here in this place and that you would stir us up. That, Lord, that by your, your fire, you would come and, and help us to rise to the occasion. That, that the passion you have for us, that the love that you have for us, that, that the care and the grace and the, and the forgiveness that you have for us, Lord, that that would be what drives us forward. So, Lord, I do lift up to you anyone who is here today. If they do not know you, Lord, if they are lost in this world, if they have not professed faith in you, God, I pray now that you would bring them forward, that you would give them the encouragement and the strength to get up and to come forward. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has professed faith in you, but, Lord, that they are finding themselves in a place where they are struggling, that they find themselves in a place where they say, I just need to be renewed, that, Lord, that they would have the encouragement to come forward. I want us to be a church that seeks after you before anything and everything. Lord, I want us to be a church that is, is prayerful and that loves one another the way that you have loved us. You loved us sacrificially. You loved us to the point of death. So Jesus, help us. Help us to learn from that, to grow from that, and then express that to our fellow man. Lead us and guide us today, Lord surrender us or, or help us to surrender from the things of the world help us to cast off Satan and his evil ways help us to shield and be protected by everything so that we can find ourselves being taken care of only by you we thank you Jesus we ask you these things in your most precious name Amen